It's the Christmas season. It's upon us. Uh, I don't know about you, but it kind of caught me off guard that uh, uh, we're already singing Christmas songs. I know it's December, I know, but I've already had to change my radio station in my car because the station went to all Christmas music. I don't know about you guys. Yes, I don't like Christmas music. Sorry. <laughs> On Christmas Day, it's perfectly fine, right? My wife, uh, that's, yeah, never mind. You can talk to her about that. She gives me a hard time about that. Uh, good to be here with you this morning. Glad to see you. Um, you know, as I was considering, as I was, as I was considering this Christmas story and, and what to share with you guys uh, this year as we approach Christmas Day and the celebration of the birth of Jesus, I, I was reminded of kind of some of the circumstances and things that happen within the gospel, uh, the gospel story. You see, throughout the gospels, we we run into this kind of constant confusion. Uh, among the people, this this misunderstanding that this Jewish audience that Jesus had come to, that they had in light of Jesus as the Messiah, they were constantly just like uh, astounded by the things that he taught. It, it wasn't what they expected. They were expecting something completely different, but what they got was was just outside of their realm of, of understanding. See, they 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 knew that there was this Messiah that was coming, this this promised Savior. They, they knew that there was a deliverer that, that would come and that would rescue and restore Israel as a nation, right? They, 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 they knew that that was what was going to take place. They, they knew it. And even Jesus' closest followers, his disciples and, and personal friends, were frequently confounded by his teachings, uh, especially when it came to his purpose in coming to the earth, in, in becoming a man. You see... Excuse me. They expected a great and conquering Savior. That's what they had built up in their minds. They knew how, what Jesus was going to be like. They knew that he would return the Israel nation to dominance in this world once and forever. They expected this earthly kingdom of God that would be, that would be established and centered in Jerusalem. They knew it with everything uh, within them that this was the way it was going to be. They knew that there was going to be a physical throne and a reigning king. They knew it. They knew that armies would be at his disposal, that kings and kingdoms would come and bow down before him, uh, and that this Messiah, this conquering king, would enter the scene with a bang, right? with this grand entrance, and that the world would be kind of his playground, right? He would be the one in charge. They, they had this expectation in their brains that they had created over the years. They knew how it would all play out. But what they got was something very, very different. Very, very unexpected. And so I want to unpack a little bit of this unexpected nature of the arrival of this baby See, there's uh, four areas I want to talk about this morning that were unexpected to, to the people, uh, the Jewish people at that time. The first is this. It came at an unexpected time within world history. You know, the, the Messiah had been prophesied since the first sin took place back in Genesis. And he could have come at any time. In fact, and when, when Abraham came around, there was many promises that, that uh, God began to make about blessing the earth. There were foreshadows of this Messiah, this promised deliverer who would come. And he could have came then. right? He could have been one of Abraham's sons or grandsons or someone who was directly connected to the father of this great nation. That's now not how it worked out. 
See, he could have come during the time when the nation or the, the children of Israel had, had kind of uh, grown and, and developed and come out of Egypt. You know, and then now they were kind of formally a nation, right? This Israelite people. And he could have come and led his people at that time. Okay, but but that's, not, that's not what happened. You know, he could have come when the people demanded a king. When the Israelites, who had just been led by God and his representatives, the judges and prophets and such, but, but he didn't come when they demanded a king. So it seems like that would have been a great time. This conquering king could have come and established his throne. That's not what happened. You know, he could have come after the kingdom had been established and David had solidified the borders and conquered enemies and risen the Israelite people to, to somewhat of a, a great prominence, at least in their region, right? He had gathered wealth, he had established armies, he had defeated enemies, and he had prophesied himself about this great Savior. It would have been a great time for him to step in to David's throne, but that's not what happened. You know, it could have been at any time, but when did it come? It came unexpectedly. He came unexpectedly after this nation, this great nation that David and Solomon and Saul and the, had built, and, and, but it had crumbled. It had split in two. It had come under attack. It had been destroyed. It had been brought to its knees. In fact, it had ceased to exist. The people taken captive, and a few, just a few remnants returned back to their homeland many years later, and now under the authority of an outside government, the Roman Empire. After 400 years of silence, here comes the Savior. Years after Israel had ceased to be relevant at all, though the people had never given up hope, enters a baby. Totally unexpected. It was in an unexpected location. You know, he could have been, Jesus could have come at any place in this world. He could have come at that time. If he, let's, let's just say that you know, we know that uh, 4 BC, the time when he was born, was the time that God had chosen. He could have chose to come at any location. There was other great nations in the world. <clears throat> the Roman Empire was super strong. Why didn't he come to Rome? Right, The, the, the uh, leading nation <clears throat> excuse me, in the civilized world. Why wasn't he born there, within one of the ruling families? Why not Rome? Instead, he was born in Israel, often referred to at that time as the armpit of the Roman Empire. Nice designation. It was a place where the Roman officials didn't want to be sent to. Right? They didn't want to go serve in, in Israel, in Palestine. Why wasn't it in Jerusalem? Why didn't he come and be born in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the, the figurehead of the religion, the Jewish religion. Right? It was the power center for the Jewish people. But that's not where God chose to have his son be born. Why Bethlehem? Ever thought about that? Why Bethlehem? Little Bethlehem in the shadows of Jerusalem, about five and a half miles away. You see, Bethlehem was pretty significant. See, Bethlehem was the birthplace of another king. King David. Right? King David was born in Bethlehem, and it was prophesied that another king would come. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, something like that, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's one of those prophecies of Jesus. Why Bethlehem? 
I'm not sure, but God chose it. He chose it many years before Jesus was born. He chose it. He chose David to be born there and Jesus to follow, and he prophesied that. Another little interesting tidbit about Bethlehem from Scripture. In Bethlehem, the word means house of bread. House of bread. Uh, Bayet or Beth in English means um, house, and Lehem is bread. I might have just totally switched those in my brain, but, but it means house of bread. A house of bread. And, and that's interesting to me in light of what we just celebrated together. Right? We just celebrated together of communion. And the bread represents who? The body of Jesus, right? In John chapter 6, verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This Jesus was called the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 50, it says, This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Speaking of Jesus again. Why Bethlehem, the house of bread, this little town, the town of David? It doesn't make sense. He came to unexpected parents within an unexpected family. Why wasn't he born to a Roman emperor or maybe a chief priest within uh, the Jewish faith? Why, why um, Mary and Joseph? Why in an oops moment? Think about that for a moment. You know, if you, you ever met a, a, a couple that is pregnant and, oh, was this planned? Uh, no, this is our oops, right? And, and I, I saw a little uh, a shirt here recently. I see we have a picture of it, a little onesie. Um, best oops ever, right? Uh, now, now that shirt uh, applies to Jesus, right? In, in, in Mary and Joseph's life, this was an oops. This wasn't a planned. This wasn't expected. This wasn't part of their design, of their relationship, of their life story. That when, when they met and they were betrothed to be married, I'm sure that this was not what, how they planned it to happen. This was an oops moment, but it was the best oops moment for him, for mankind, not just for Mary and Joseph. Here we find Mary, who's a very young girl, probably about 14 years old, betrothed but not married officially to, to her husband. We have Joseph, who's a tradesman, a simple carpenter, nobody special. And yet that's who Christ was born to. That's where the, the entry place of this Savior, this Messiah. This was not expected, not at all. It came to an unexpected reaction. The people didn't, didn't anticipate this at all. Even within Mary and Joseph, for example, Mary, when she heard the news that she was pregnant, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing, or would become pregnant, it's an amazing reaction. At first, she's a little concerned, obviously. She's young, she's not yet fully married, and, and what, what's going to happen to her? She questioned, but this was a response in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. As the angel told her this message, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Instant obedience. Instant obedience to the message of the Lord. Why Mary? What, what amazing testimony to her faith in the Lord. Why Joseph? You know, his, his, his response is, is just equally amazing in my, in my mind. Here he just finds out that this young girl that he's about to get married to is now pregnant, right? And he knows it's not his. Now, he was a good man, and the Scripture tells us that he was going to do his best by her and put her away quietly so not to embarrass her. But an angel appears to him as well in, in Matthew chapter 1. And we find that as the angel shares with Joseph, the responsibility that the Lord had laid upon him, 
by entrusting his own son, by God trusting his own son to be raised by Joseph and Mary, that Joseph heart is equally as obedient. It's incredible. We see an unexpected reaction in who showed up to this birth. It wasn't kings, it wasn't dignitaries, it wasn't ambassadors. Instead, what was it? Shepherds. Stinky shepherds. No offense to our shepherds here. The hygiene of shepherds has changed over the years, right? (laughs) The king of all kings was born. And who arrives? Shepherds. It's incredible. It's totally unexpected. It's not what he deserved. How about this? uh, The king. The king of the Jews at the time, King Herod. He knew the prophecies of the Savior, of of the Messiah. He knew that he had all these expectations himself. And when he heard that the Messiah had been born, when visiting uh, Magi had come, wise men from afar, and told him that the time was now, you would think that this long-awaited deliverer who would establish Israel as the dominant nation, you would think he would be overjoyed. But instead, he was jealous. And so what was his reaction? To have every child put to death, every male child that would meet the age of Jesus within Bethlehem, forcing this family to escape to Egypt. See, Jesus Jesus showed up at an unexpected moment in time, in an unexpected location, born within an unexpected family to unexpected reactions. You know, though if you think about it, it all kind of makes sense in hindsight. As we have the benefit of looking back on it, we know that the Old Testament prophesied many of these things. Right now we have context to see that it came just as God had ordained, just as God had planned, and he filled literally hundreds and hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament. We know from history that Rome had built itself to the point where the infrastructure and the road systems and the security and safety that they provided allowed for the spread of the gospel in ways that had never been known before that time. We know that this was a pivotal moment in history, in world history, where the world began to open up like a flower and travel and, and information was being exchanged around the globe. It was the perfect time. And in God's perfect timing... And in his perfect wisdom, the stage was set. And the unexpected arrived. This amazing little baby boy. You know, Jesus shows up in our lives sometimes in unexpected ways. See, sometimes we can fall victim to that same thing. We create in our minds and in our hearts (coughs) the certain ways that God interacts with us. We think that God reveals himself only in certain times, in certain places maybe. And we can create expectations that are waiting to be dashed, in a sense. See, Jesus shows up unexpectedly in certain moments in our lives as well. I like to call these moments God sightings, God moments. Maybe you've heard of that phrase before, God sightings. (laughs) It's those moments when our heart and our mind and our spirit kind of all align up. When, when kind of our total awareness is there in light of our relationship with God. Maybe one of those moments for you is when you realize the amazing love of your Savior. And you felt it for the first time to the point where it motivated you to make a change, to surrender your heart, to submit to Him in obedience. You just felt His presence in that moment, and you said, I want to be a part of this. And so you came before Him, 
and repentance with hearts full of love and gratitude. That was your first maybe God's sighting. These are moments when we see him and we see his answers to prayers, maybe in incredible ways or maybe even in small ways. They're moments when the waters of life seem to be right up here to our nose and we feel like we're about ready to drown and we reach down with our tippy toes and we feel that solid ground beneath us and we know everything's going to be okay. You know, sometimes these moments, these God sightings, they're, they're as clear as a blue sky day. Right? Sometimes they're just obvious. But sometimes we have to look for them. We have, to, uh, we have to avoid kind of and put aside the distractions of this life, the things that we get so caught up in that we miss out on God's work in our, in our lives. So this morning I have a couple verses to encourage you, a few verses here. The first this, if you want to see God at work in your life, if you want these God sightings to happen more often, then you need to seek Him. You need to seek Him like those Magi, those wise men who sought the Lord, who came from afar to find Him, they saw Him. Their their search for Him was realized. When we seek Him, He shows Himself to us. In Psalm chapter 63, verse 1, it says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek You. I thirst for You. My whole being longs for You. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, desire God like someone who's lost in the desert like someone who's parched and overheated, like they desire water, desire to see and seek the Lord himself. In Jeremiah chapter 29, it says what happens when we seek him. In verses 13 and 14, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will be found, he says. He will be found when you seek for him, when you search for him. That's a promise from Scripture. When you seek Him, you will find Him. You will see Him. Within the Gospel story, there's another passage that sounds very similar to this. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount here, verse 7 through 8. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. You know, be persistent. Be intentional in your search for answers. For your search for God in your life, because He will reveal Himself to you. He will show Himself to you. As you search and seek and devote yourself to Him, He will answer. And as you seek, again, it says that you will see Him. Open up your eyes and see Him. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, uh, Jeff uh, Beckwith, a friend of mine, shared a couple weeks ago, and he talked a little bit about this idea found in Colossians 1 here. He says, for in Him... All things were created. This is speaking of Jesus. In him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And this is the key part here this morning. In him all things hold together. See, when we understand that Jesus is the one who holds everything together, when we understand that it is through Him and by Him that everything was created that we know and understand and perceive and experience, when we understand that, we know that He's around us. Right? We know that He's, he's in our lives. Right? We know that he, He's right here with us, and He knows us individually. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29-31 through 31 tells us this. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your Father's care. 
And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. He knows you, and he's right here with you all the time. Open up your eyes and see him. Take a moment. Be aware that he is with you. And he is not just with you. He's working in you. He's working in your life. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, first part of verse 9 says, For the eye of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The Lord is watching and working in your life in ways maybe you don't even realize. Psalm 34, 15 carries this idea forward. It says, The eyes of the Lord are, are towards the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. He's working and he hears your, your, your prayers. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, 12, it says that very same thing. Uh, Peter repeats that verse. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. It's amazing. He is working in your life, especially those of you here that are Christ followers. He is involved and he is active even when your emotions betray you, even when your feelings lie to you and you feel disconnected and you don't feel close to your Savior. He's still there. He's still working. He's still knowing. He's still answering your prayers. In Mark chapter 5, verses 16 through 70, it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he got in trouble often for doing things differently, right? For being, having unexpected actions and reactions. And one of those was he, he would teach and heal on the Sabbath and he would get in trouble for it from the religious people. That's not what they expected of their Savior. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. You see, regardless of the day, Regardless of the time, regardless of the location, Jesus is at work in our lives. And we can see him if we choose to. If we choose to see him, we will. If you choose to seek him, he will be found. 2,000 years ago, a Savior came in a very unexpected way. He came to an unexpected, at an unexpected time. In an unexpected location, to an unexpecting family. And he caused some unexpected reactions. But he came. He did. He fulfilled his promise that he would come to this earth and he would come with a purpose, like Doug said earlier. He came with a purpose. And that was to show you the love that he asked for you and to die for your sins. You know, if people had been watching and listening, if they had been seeing with their heart, with their mind and their spirit, they would not have been surprised when he arrived on the scene. So let me tell you this. As you seek him, as you uh, see him, as you open up your eyes to him, don't be, a, don't be surprised when he uh, has already arrived and he's already working in your life. Let's pray. Father, as we bring our service to a close today. We just pray that you will open up our eyes to see you. Father, may we view these God sightings in our life. May we see you at work, uh, even sometimes when we don't feel like we're close to you. God, you promise that you will never leave us, and you promise that you will never forsake us, that you're with us always. And God, we hold on to those promises. And God, I just pray again, that we will become more aware of your presence in our life, that we will be able to attribute to you 
the blessings that you pour out on to us, uh, uh, on us a day, at, a, at a daily basis. God, we're so grateful for the love that you have for us. <laughs> we're so grateful, Father, that you came to this earth in an unexpected way, but with an intentional purpose. And we embrace that love. We embrace that forgiveness this morning. In your precious Son's name we pray. Amen.